You know, as we sang that song together and said, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this place, flood this place, and fill the atmosphere, I, I couldn't help but think about how we usually sing that song together as a church in a crowded room. You know, usually Sundays are a day to reset. I don't know what your typical Sunday pattern is, but usually it involves getting up at a different time, and for a lot of us it even means putting on different clothes than the ones that we usually wear. And we go to the house of the Lord, and and we take a few precious moments to really just focus in on God and on what God wants to say. We worship Him, we pray, we, we open up the Word, and we ask the Holy Spirit to move in those moments. And, and it's a powerful moment as we align our hearts and our lives with what the Lord is saying. And then we reset, we rest in our physical bodies. Now, I've often quoted the maxim that a different pace and a different place equals a different perspective. And I want to just encourage you, let's take this time that we have today, right now, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to fill the atmosphere. Now, I know you can't, you can't go to a different place right now, but let's pray that, that God would change the pace and that God would give us a new perspective today as we meditate on His Word. In fact, I just want to take a moment right now before we get into the Scripture, and I just want to pray for you. Would you let me do that? Father, I pray right now that, Lord, you would let something just reset our hearts and our minds Lord, in this moment, as we share in the word, of, as we've worshiped together, God, I pray that your spirit would fill the atmosphere. Lord, reset our hearts, reset our minds today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, last weekend was Easter, and I kicked off a brand new series that we called Welcome Home Jesus. And I want to just go right back into that thought today. In fact, I want, to, I want to share with you a story about another person who invited Jesus into their home. Now, as I said last week, I love being able to go to God's house. Uh, but I also know that God can do something significant and powerful and life-changing in your life if we will welcome Jesus into our home. And so for the next few moments, I want you to see that in the story of a man named Jairus. Now, his story is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, in all three of their gospels. But today, I want us to look in Mark's gospel. And it's in Mark chapter 5, where we pick up the story. It says in verse 21, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So right here in the middle of this story, in the middle of this crowd of needy people, we meet a man named Jairus. Now, I think it's interesting that the Bible says Jairus was the synagogue leader. 
Now, as the synagogue leader, that meant his duties were to prepare uh, for the worship services at the synagogue, to conduct those services, to select people who would lead in prayers and those who would read the scriptures and those who would teach the scriptures. Now, I can't help but think about the fact that when I say what the synagogue leader did, it sounds like I, I just gave my own job description. The, the reality is what he did sounds like what I do. I mean, if you would have run into J. Iris on the street that day, you would have said, that's the pastor. That's who J. Iris is in the story. And, and maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it says something to me. When I read this, you know, anytime I read scripture, I, I do a couple things. One, I'm, I'm looking at context. I want to know what is the Bible saying uh, to the people that are in the story? What is it saying to them and about them? But secondly, I'm looking for application. I'm asking the question, what is this uh, what does this story or this verse in the Bible say to me? What does it say about my life? And as I look at this crowd of people that are needing something from Jesus, I realize something. I realize that I'm in this crowd, that I need Jesus, that the pastor is the one who's pressing through the crowd and falling down at the feet of Jesus. Now, listen, you may be watching this service, uh, and it might be because somebody invited you. They shared this uh, link with you to this uh, online service, or, or maybe you're just watching it out of absolute boredom, and you just happen to scroll across and see me. I don't know. Maybe it was faithfulness and devotion to the Lord that, that brought you in to celebrate church online today. But can I just tell you, whatever it is that brought you here, whatever your background is, whatever your story is, you are on this street, you are in this crowd. And can I tell you what's true of everybody in the crowd? We all need Jesus. Every one of us, we're in this story today. And can I just say to you that Jairus is not exceptional because of his problem We've all got problems. We've all got issues. We've all got stuff that we're dealing with. No, no, no. Jairus was not exceptional because of his problem. He was exceptional because of his pursuit. It was the fact that he went after Jesus. That's what got Jesus' attention. Listen, there are millions of people today who are not interested in seeking Jesus. I mean, the, the ratio of those that seek Jesus and those that don't seek Jesus are one to a thousand or to a hundred thousand or to a million. But can I tell you something? The ratio of those that seek Jesus and those that find Jesus are one in one. It's one in one. It says in verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him. That's what J. Iris did. He pleaded earnestly with the Lord. That word earnestly means with sincere and intense conviction. It means seriously. In other words, Jairus wasn't playing games. That's what it means to seek the Lord earnestly. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. Listen, I, I don't know what you're up against today. I don't know what your problem might be, but hear this. It's not your problem that gets God's attention. It's your pursuit. It's your willingness to go to God for the answer. And, and you, know what, you know what being quarantined has, has taught a lot of us about ourselves? 
being sheltered at home for over a month, it's taught a lot of us that we make time for the things that really matter to us. I mean, hasn't it? There's so many times that we've used the excuse in our lives that, you know, I'd like to do this more, I just don't have time. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to read my Bible more, I, I just don't have time. I'd like to spend more time in prayer, but I just don't have time. But, but what about when we can't go to work, we can't go out to eat, we can't go shopping, we can't take the kids to the sports, what about then? What about when all we have is time? The reality is we have learned, many of us, we have learned that what we really care about, what we really prioritize, what really matters are the things that we make time for. And if we're not serious, if we're not earnest about something, it doesn't matter how much time we have, we're always going to fill it with other things. Now, now listen, lest you think I'm just picking on you because I didn't come on here to, to pick on you today. I, I want to say this. I, I don't think that unless J. Iris's daughter is sick, I, I don't think he goes after Jesus so hard. Now, I, I don't know that. Maybe he does. I mean, it's possible that, you know, faith was growing in his heart. There, there is some precedent there. There's another religious leader in John 3. He was uh, like J. Iris. He was a Pharisee. He was on the Jerusalem council. And, and Nicodemus, he did pursue Jesus. Though Nicodemus did it at night when nobody could see him or question him about it. But J. Iris, he goes out and he makes a fool of himself in front of a, a crowded street. He pushes through the crowd and the Bible says he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he pleaded with him earnestly. He's making a fool out of himself. And, and just, just my opinion, I don't think we see that attitude and action from J. Iris without the crisis. My little girl is dying. Now, here's the blessing of a crisis. You know, sometimes we, we feel like circumstances push us to the very end of ourselves. But can I tell you, when we get to the very end of ourselves, we have just gotten to the beginning of God. And that's the blessing of a crisis. The fact that sometimes it's the difficult situations that lead us to the place where we have the faith, where we exercise the faith to trust God. And God responds to that measure of faith. Now, did God want J. Iris to, to seek Jesus? Absolutely, he did. Second question, did J. Iris' daughter's sickness cause him to seek Jesus more earnestly? Absolutely, I believe it did. So here's the big question. Did God intend for J. Iris' daughter to get sick so that Jairus would seek Jesus. <laughs> now we're in the deep waters. Now we're getting to the real question. And maybe you've asked that question. In fact, let's make it a little bit more applicable. Did God intend and orchestrate COVID-19? Maybe you've wondered before. If you look at the circumstances you're facing, you look at the things going on in our world, and you start to wonder, is this all God's plan? Is he just trying to get my attention? Is God punishing me? Is he trying to get me to say something or do something in response to this? Maybe you've wondered before. Are, are natural disasters and plagues, are they demonstrations of the judgment of God? Well, the answer to that is sometimes. We can't deny, I mean, if you read your Bible, there are too many instances where we see natural disasters or plagues that are 
God's punishment or judgment for sin. Sometimes it's true. But are natural disasters or health crises, are they always the judgment and the wrath of God? No, they're not. And I don't have to actually be the one to, to be the final authority on that. What I'd like to do is point you to someone who is the final authority because Jesus was pretty much presented with the same question. There was a place in Scripture in Luke chapter 13 where some people came to Jesus. And, and before I go there, let me just say, there's a couple types of evil in our world. There's moral evil. That's the type of evil that, that a person does something that, that is wrong, and, and, and there's an effect from that. But there's, there's also natural evil. You remember the story of Job, right? Job experienced both. Uh, part of the destruction that came in Job's life was the, uh, the, the Chaldeans, the, the raiders that attacked uh, his home, and the Sabians. That was a moral evil. They came and they stole from him. They took his possessions and they killed his servants. But there was also natural evil. The Bible says that there was a fire that consumed the sheep uh, in the fields. There was, there was wind that came and blew down the house uh, that his children were in, and, and they lost their life. And so in Luke chapter 13, there's this story where some people come to Jesus and they're telling him about Pilate's evil actions. Apparently, Pilate had, uh, had a group of Galileans killed and their blood was mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. And the people are, are, are saying to Jesus how evil this is and how wrong this is. But then Jesus responds by telling them a story. Apparently, this was a current event. This was headline news. Everyone was aware that this had recently happened. Jesus alludes to a tower in the town of Siloam that had fallen over. And when the tower fell over, it killed 18 people. And so they tell Jesus about a moral evil of Pilate's evil. And then Jesus responds to that story with a story of his own about what looks like just a, a natural disaster, an, an incident that we would just uh, maybe chalk up as bad luck. And to both of those stories in Luke 13, Jesus gives the exact same response to the question, you know, wh why did this happen? Same answer in verse 3 and in verse 5. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying, I'm going to give you a better question. Instead of asking God, why did this happen? You ought to be asking God, how can you use this? See, that's a better question. Instead of saying, God, why did this happen? Say, God, how do you want to use this in my life? Because Jesus was saying both of these events should, should serve as a warning for us, not, not to speculate about the, the cause of events. It should serve as a warning for us to search our own souls. That's what Jesus is saying. He was saying, yeah, the, those people died because of moral evil. But eventually, you're going to die too, and so it ought to make you search your own soul. And, and yes, those people that, that were crushed by the tower, they died of, of natural events and natural evil in a fallen world. But you ought to search your soul, because one day, you're going to die as well. I, I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about the pain in our lives. Listen to this quote. He said, pain 
insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So here's where I'm at. I've determined that the response for J. Iris is going to be the same for this pastor right here. My response is going to be the same. I have to press through the crowd. I have to fall down at the feet of Jesus, and I have to trust him. I have to earnestly seek him for whatever the issue that I'm facing because I'm in the crowd. You're in the crowd. And I don't know what your issue is today, but can I remind you, it's not your problem that gets his attention. It's your pursuit. So how about we just go hard after God in this season and stop asking the question of God, why is this happening, and getting hung up on speculation. Let's start asking God, how do you want to use this to get a hold of my heart and so that I can get a hold of yours? Mark chapter 5 goes on a little later. It picks up the story in verse 35, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You know, I I think that verse could describe a lot of people's faith right now in this season of your life. I mean, maybe you substitute the crisis you substitute the names. You put your name in for J. Iris, and, and maybe the, the report is not your daughter is dead, but, but the response in the natural is the same. It's too late. Why bother the teacher anymore? And a lot of people, that's, the, that's where they feel when it comes to approaching their faith. You're in a situation where you're going, yeah, I, I mean, maybe you've tried seeking Jesus. Maybe you even you know, got out of the house and, and went to the place where you thought you'd find Jesus, and you've gone after him. But today, the voices of the people around your life, maybe the voice in your own head is saying, you know what, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. Well, look at verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now, I don't know what that did for J. Iris in that moment. I don't know if it brought a smile to his face. I don't know if it put a lump in his throat. I don't know what he did. But all we do know is this. As we read the story a little farther, we see that J. Iris made a decision right there to continue to bring Jesus to his house. Now, he had already asked Jesus to come, and the Bible said that Jesus went with him, but right here, he's confronted with the reality of his circumstances. Your daughter is dead. What are you going to do now? Don't bother the teacher anymore? Or are you going to respond to the words, don't be afraid, just believe. Can I, can I challenge you today? Can I help you? If you're struggling with faith, if you don't know where you stand, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. My circumstance can't change. Or should I just keep on believing and keep on trusting? Listen, if that's where you're at, don't answer for Jesus. Okay. We have a, a terrible habit of doing that sometimes. We say no for Jesus. We assume what he's going to do or what he's not going to do. We decide whether we're worthy or we decide whether, whether we've prayed right or whether we've been good enough. And we can come up with a, a litany of reasons to answer for Jesus. Can I just encourage you? Don't do that. Don't answer the question for Jesus 
You forfeit your miracle when you fail to believe. Somebody needs to hear that again. You forfeit your miracle when you fail to believe. You know what? J. Iris made a choice right then. He chose that I'm going to walk the rest of the way home by faith. I'm not going to walk home by what I feel. I'm not going to walk home based on what people are telling me. I'm not even going to walk home based on what I think I know to be true. My daughter is dead. He made up his mind right then in the middle of that busy street. I'm going to continue to walk home and not just go home. I'm going to continue to invite Jesus and welcome him into my home. Why? No other rational explanation than this. Faith. Because he chose in that moment to listen to the one voice that had authority over his crisis. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Only believe. Believe. You know, you can't decide what the weather's going to be, but you do get to choose the temperature in your home. There's this thing on your wall. It's called a thermostat, and it's in your hands. You decide. You don't, you don't know if it's going to rain. You don't get to decide if we're going to get snow like we got this week in the middle of spring or if it's going to be a heat wave, but you control the thermostat. So let me just ask you, are you controlling the spiritual thermostat in your home? What is that spiritual thermostat right now? Is it, is it don't bother the teacher, it's too late? Is it a, an atmosphere of doubt, of unbelief? Or is it an atmosphere that says, only believe, only believe, don't be afraid. Look at the next verse with me. It says in verse 37, that speaking about Jesus, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now look at verse 40. It says, but they laughed at him. Now that's an indication of how sincere they were. In fact, these people were most likely, uh, they were paid. They were hired mourners. Oftentimes, you can see it in the Old Testament, that there were people who were professionals. Matthew's gospel tells us they didn't just come crying with their tissue boxes. They came with pipes. They were playing instruments. They were singing songs of lament. They were making a spectacle because that was a way to, to outwardly honor this young girl. But as soon as Jesus said, she's not dead, she's asleep, the facade of sorrow fell down and they began to laugh. They laughed at Jesus and, and look at what it says next. After he put them all out, I love, I love that Mark, he doesn't even elaborate on it. He's like, well, you know what happened next. Jesus kicked him out of the house. He kicked them all out of the house. And it says, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was. You see what Jesus is doing right here? Jesus is creating an atmosphere of faith. Jesus walked into Jairus's home and he saw all these people crying and, and mourning. He kicks them out of the house. He doesn't let anyone else follow him except his closest friends and the mother and the father, the people that want this miracle the most desperately. He kicks everybody else out of the house and he sets 
the spiritual climate in the room. Can I just challenge you, friend? Stop letting other people set the thermostat in your home. Stop letting other people set the spiritual climate in your home. Sometimes you just got to make up your mind to, to turn the news off. Sometimes you got to make up your mind to stop scrolling on Facebook and reading everybody's opinion. You got to stop going on Instagram. You got to stop reading every update and every conspiracy. Listen, sometimes you got to decide, you know what? I am the one who is setting the spiritual thermostat in my life and for my home. And I'm not telling you to kick people out of your house, (laughs) but listen, Jesus walked into that room and he removed the things that were a hindrance to faith. And sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to look at your life. You got to remove the things that are a hindrance to faith. And sometimes that might be the, the voice of negativity. It might be somebody else's influence in your life. The reality is this, look, when when you invite Jesus into your home, you don't add room for Jesus, you make room. And if you're going to make room, that means some other things have to be moved out of the way. I I know a lot of people have have been, uh, they've been organizing with all their extra time, you know, uh, getting rid of old stuff and cleaning out closets and organizing their home. And that's kind of the same way it is spiritually. When we invite Jesus in, we got to make some room. We got we to put some stuff out. And, and that's what happened in this moment. I want to tell you today, faithlessness, doubt, disbelief, those things have to go. You got to just remove those things from your, from your life and from the atmosphere of your home so that Jesus can come in. Skepticism and, and cynicism, those things all have to go so that Jesus can come in. Look at verse 41 with me. It says, He took her by the hand, and Jesus said to her, Talitha kuam, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Listen, I, I can't say what God is doing or going to do in your life. But I, I can tell you how it's going to end. It says, they were completely astonished. And, and by the way, the they were the believers. All the unbelievers have already been kicked out of the house. Those who were astonished are those that were actually believing for the miracle. Those that were astonished were those who were actually trusting God and asking God to do something. And can I tell you, that's the way it's going to be for you. Whatever the crisis is you're facing, when you get God's attention with a heart of pursuit, you earnestly seek him. I want to promise you, you're going to be amazed at what he does. When I read that part of the story, I couldn't help but think about a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. I love this passage of scripture. It says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what that verse is saying? That's saying God is going to be glorified through the church in every generation. How? 
He's going to be glorified in the church in every generation when he does immeasurably more than what we ask him to do. But you know what's up to us? It's that we ask him. God's going to bring glory through Jesus and through his church. He's going to exceed our expectations. He's going to do more. But the question is, are you willing to ask him? I want to say what Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. As we close this service, I, I want to go back one more time to verse 23. Because in verse 23, Jairus does three things that I think every one of us can do right now. Here's what it says. He made this request. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. First thing he did, he told Jesus about his crisis. My little daughter is dying. Second thing he did, he welcomed Jesus' touch. He said, put your hand on her. And thirdly, he expressed faith. He said, so that she may live. I don't know what crisis you're facing in your home or in your heart. But can I invite you to tell Jesus about it? Tell him about the crisis. And don't just tell him about it, but would you welcome him in? And understand that when you welcome Jesus into your home, there are some things that are going to have to make room. There may be some influences that you got to cut off, some, some noise, some distractions that are robbing your faith, and they are adjusting the thermostat of your spiritual condition. But you got to change that today and invite Jesus to come into your home and touch you. And can I challenge you, don't stop there. Don't plead like some beggar that, that doesn't have God as a father. No, pray with faith. He said, Jesus, here's the crisis. I want to invite you in to touch my daughter so that she will live. She'll be healed. I want to challenge you to express faith. And I want to challenge you to do it right now. Listen, we're going to go back into another song of worship. And as we take some time to worship together for the last few moments of this broadcast, our service host is, is ready to pray with you. In fact, some of our church family watching right now are ready to pray with you. If there's a crisis in your life, I want to challenge you to express faith like J. Iris did and say, I'm going to press through the crowd. I'm going to push through the noise and I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus. Would you just tell him, Jesus, this is the crisis in my life. Listen, if you have a prayer need, we'd love to pray with you. Would you be so bold as to just post it in the comments? Say, God, I need help. Maybe this is the crisis. My, my business is falling apart. Maybe this is the crisis. My family is stressed out. Maybe for you, this is the crisis. I don't think my marriage is going to survive another month of quarantine. I don't know what the crisis is, but why don't you just tell Jesus about it and let us partner with you in faith and believe God. Here's what I believe. Jesus is going to step into your home the same way he stepped into J. Iris's home. Jesus is going to touch you at your point of need and you will be healed. Now let's take these next few moments and let's believe God together in prayer.